broadcasting live from the Santa Lucia Highlands through the heart of the Casterville Artichoke Fields, westward to the Elkhorn Slough, and south to the rugged Big Sur coastline. You're listening to What's the Plan? A weekly discussion with local thought leaders about the future of Monterey County. And now, here's your host, Mr. Paul Wyant. All right, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Paul Wyant on Central Coast Power Talk, 1460 AM and 101 FM. Today, Show just keeps getting better. I am super happy to announce that we have Mr. Michael DeLapa on the program. He is the uh, founder of Landwatch, and it's a nonprofit organization for those who you don't who don't know, with a mission to promote sound land use policies to better our community and protect long-term economic vitality, high agricultural output, environmental health, and social equity. Uh, really, really happy to have you, Mr. DeLapa. How are you, sir? I am very excited to be with you today, Paul. Thank you very much for inviting me on show yeah well thank you for and i and i think um i I think this is gonna be a great program because i think a lot of people misunderstand i think land watches uh overall their mission and i think some people uh, misunderstand what you know what you're trying to do and when reading the document so i'm really excited to ask you some questions and give you the you know the platform to explain all that you're trying to all the good you're trying to do in the county Great. Um, Thank you. The uh, first question, of course, tell us about your background and what led you to Monterey, uh, your education, uh, anything and, and your interests in life and what led you to, down this path to end up where you are today? Well, my, uh, my introduction to the peninsula came in 1976. I was a uh, undergraduate at Stanford, and I came to Hopkins Marine Station, um, where I just found a place that I loved. I loved the peninsula. I loved Monterey County. I had a great experience at Hopkins um, I returned to finish up a master's degree in uh, marine science. I uh, then, um, you know, moved up to the Bay Area. I did some work there. I returned to Stanford to get my MBA. And then from that point on, I was uh, involved in uh, going back and forth between business, public policy, and nonprofit management. So I've been doing that since the 1990s. Um, my uh, motivation for Landwatch really even goes back further. I grew up in Santa Barbara, and it was a place that I just absolutely loved growing up. But I watched it slowly get bulldozed. The the uh, the citrus fields, the open space, uh, it just was subject to sprawl. And so when I came to Monterey, I uh, you know I knew this was a place that I wanted to be. It was a place that I loved, and it took me many many years to figure out how to do something that would allow for continued growth and development, but would also protect these values that were so important to me and many other people. Wow. That's, that is fantastic. Um, yeah. And I, and I agree. Um, Santa Barbara is a, it's kind of a beautiful city though now with the, with a lot of what they've done, at least in the downtown area and the beaches. So it's nice. Some of the, the McMansions over in, um, where Oprah lives, what's, uh, what's uh, Montecito? Montecito, yeah, that's kind of an interesting area as well. But um, yeah, that's that's a really great background, and uh, you you're also marketing VP for a construction um, inspection app. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. That's kind of uh, really an interesting side note. Well, th- that's a um, that's a company that I worked at for about six years. I actually left there a few years ago. I think I'm still up on their website as their VP of marketing. Um, you know, that is uh, one of a series of seven startups that I've had over my career. Um, I'm actually doing yet another one right now called findmeastream.com, which is a, um, a uh, application, a web service to find live streaming on the internet. 
but I've just always had a passion for starting things. Mm. And Landwatch, you know, was my uh, primary uh, motivation to start something to protect this area. These other ventures like Photonodes and Find Me a Stream are just mostly just intellectual things that, um, you know, that became businesses that were uh, at the time challenging and interesting for me. But it, it, would, it would make you sympathetic to business interests, which probably Landwatch probably comes up against business interests. So it, I think, would give you some knowledge and sympathy for business interests as well. It, yeah. Well, I spent, you know, I spent the better part of my career utilizing my Stanford MBA running businesses. I ran um, a film company in Monterey, in uh, downtown Monterey for 10 years called C-Studios that made science and nature films. I moved to the Bay Area. I worked in technology for 15 years. You know, I like to think of myself as having a very deep business background. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud of the work that I've done in the business sector. I'm very proud of the work that I've done in nonprofits and government as well. That's, that's fantastic. So as a note, it's photo notes with an F. So it's F-O-T-O instead of P-H. Yes. Uh, I just wanted to kind of make sure if people are looking for a construction app, uh, take a look, F-O-T-O. Um, so on to Landwatch, um, I, basic, I, I think it would be good to preface all of this with if, if we could create a time machine and you, Michael, were anointed the, the, you know, whatever, you could control whatever you wanted in this time machine and we went out you can pick a time frame, 30, 50, 100 years, if you like. Specifically, how would the county, how would you like to see the county develop? Like describe a North Star, maybe even you could include transportation networks, uh, businesses, housing, whatever you want. But like where, like, and you can include Landwatch. It doesn't have to be your vision, but what would you see? Like, what is that North Star, would you say? So Landwatch has five principles. And I think those principles are, our North Star. The first principle is affordable housing. Um, you know, we aim to see that. And, and oftentimes, affordable housing here means apartments, multifamily housing. Our second principle has to do with urban growth boundaries, which is basically drawing a boundary around an urban area to try to keep it um, from expanding out and filling, may, having the incentives to fill in so uh, the state of Oregon has done this throughout the entire state. Every city has an urban growth boundary in the entire state of Oregon. And quite a few other states have uh, developed this con the same concept. Marina has an urban growth boundary. So that's Landwatch's second principle. Our third principle, protect farmland. So trying to keep uh, farms and farmland and ranch land operational, trying to keep cities away from building onto farmland, that's just really fundamental to what we see. The fourth principle has to do with making sure infrastructure is adequate before development goes in. So we wanna make sure the water systems, supply um, and water treatment systems, roads are all adequate. And finally, when all those things are in place, we wanna make the regulatory structure fast and efficient so it's cheaper and easier to build. Really what Landwatch is about is conserving land. So if you think about all those things I described, affordable homes, uh, farmland preservation, open space, um, efficient use of regulations and efficient um, infrastructure, that's really all about putting higher densities of homes, businesses in, in areas where they're easily served, where people can walk and bike that don't depend on cars. So that's our, our fundamental vision. 
the the one question I have, and, and it's probably in there, and I, I maybe didn't hear it, uh, is transportation. So, like Monterey County is, if we go, if we predicate this with people are going to always want to live here. It's a, it's a really a magnet for people. People are going to want to live here. People are going to visit here on the weekends, right? And that creates a huge problem. And if we accept as a reality that population is going to grow and the, probably the population of Monterey County is going to grow and people are probably more people in the future are going to want to come here than do now. How do we manage that? Like what, what would be your suggestion on how all those people, you know, we, while well, we, we, you're competing with, with what you want, which I think we mostly can agree with almost everybody can agree with. We want to preserve the environment, but that, that getting the people in and out of the county is the is an interesting problem. Well, so I think that there are different components to that. One component is people that commute to work. And uh, we see a huge influx every day of people from, you know, Marina and, and uh, uh, Salinas, areas where housing is generally cheaper, working on the peninsula in Carmel, Pacific Grove, Monterey, coming in for, you know, where uh, a lot of the hospitality jobs are. So part of the problem is that we have an imbalance between where the jobs are and where the housing is. The solution, in our view, is to try to create more affordable homes in those places where the jobs are. And that doesn't mean more, you know, $500,000 houses or $400,000 houses or even, you know, which you can't find really anyway on the peninsula. It means trying to build more apartments, trying to build more condominiums, trying to build more townhouses, places that are more affordable to the people who on a daily basis have to commute and work here. So that's the housing um, issue really is part of the critical solution set. The other piece that you brought up are commute, uh, tourists, people coming here on the weekends. And I think that that's going to best be solved by, um, you know, public transit. I was on a call yesterday uh, exploring how the rail system can be expanded to the Bay Area to bring people down here. Having more efficient buses, that's going to be in the near term, really the way people get around. Uh, Landwatch is supporting this express lane from Marina into Monterey that would allow buses to um, have their own separate lane. And we'd love to see something like that on Highway 68. So we have to find ways that will make it easier for both people working and people that are coming here to enjoy this area to get here more easily, uh, not burn as much greenhouse gases, and, you know, make our roads, which are not going to grow. I mean, there's not a lot of money for expanding roads. So given that constraint, how do you accommodate what I think is going to be continued growth and demand? Yeah, I, I I agree with a, a lot of that. It, what's interesting is when I had uh, Mayor Roberson on, he was talking about the marina, the new houses in marina, and how a lot of those were bought as second family homes by barrier residents. And that is kind of like a, a you know burr in the saddle, or it's like some whatever something stick in the wheel that always prevents. So if you build these apartments that these, these uh, the, you know, people from the Bay area are going to come down and buy them as second family homes. Tyler Williamson contrasting, he's one of the councilmen in uh, city city of Monterey brought up the idea of maybe having an tax for unoccupied homes or something to try to combat that. But it seems like this un unending kind of like series of just trying to control that. But uh, do you have, do you have any thoughts on like second home 
Um, yeah, well, so apartments, rental apartments are not something people uh, typically, um, you know, uh, out-of-town people typically have. I mean, it's not impossible that people from the Bay Area wouldn't want to rent here, but most people that come here are interested, from the Bay Area, are interested in a house in PG or Monterey or Carmel. I mean, they want those sort of, um, you know, uh, summer homes or whatever. I don't think if you had, um, you know, higher density mixed use apartments out on Garden Road, which is going to happen, um, in Seaside along the Fremont Corridor, which is going to happen, uh, downtown Monterey by the Naval Postgraduate School, I don't see the majority of those being um, in demand by people from out of the area. I mean, I certainly could be wrong, but my um, expectation, my hypothesis would be that mostly people that are going to take up and be in demand of um, those kind of small apartment units are going to be people who actually live and work here. That's that's a great answer. Now, Mayor Roberson, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but he did mention height restrictions in Monterey. And I think personally, I probably shouldn't inject my own personal opinion on this, but I think height is a great way to get that density you're talking about especially in like downtown Monterey, like if you took the old bank building or even the Bruns uh, in downtown Salinas, another great building where they probably don't have the height restrictions. If they took that burned down building and, and build up, you could probably accomplish some of the goals. It seems to me like you could accomplish some of the goals. However, in Monterey and other cities, they're a little bit kind of leery of height. Do, do you agree with me or do you think that that's, uh, there are other ways to accomplish the goal? No, I strongly agree. In fact, Monterey recently passed a, overlay that will allow for up to four stories in the area um, down by the Naval Postgraduate School. We would advocate, Landwatch would advocate even for higher densities. We would advocate for removing parking requirements. So a lot of the things that drive the costs um, up for developers, um, we want to reduce those barriers. We, you know, our feeling is in cities, if you've been lived in cities as I have, San Francisco, I mean, there are, it's hard to get parking. I mean, that is just fundamentally the the truth, but most people in those places try to take uh, public transit to get around and you can't get public transit uh, economically until you get some sufficient density. So part of what we would like to see is these requirements like housing and density restrictions and other things that really make it hard for developers to develop. We want to see those eased up and yes, they will change in part, the character of our downtowns. But the trade-off, in our belief, is it's going to get people walking, biking, out of their cars, reduce greenhouse gas pollution, and make it easier for people to get around on the roads. Well, that that is really good to hear you say, because I think, I think we uncovered, and a lot of times, like a libertarian point of view might, on the surface, think that they disagree with Landwatch. But I think that's a really good area where you would have a lot of overlap with a lot of uh, developers and business concerns. So, and I, and I don't think that's, I, at least in my conversations with other people is not often identified. And I think that's great that we, you know, that you're, we're seeing somewhere where I think there's a lot of agreement on that. So, um, so, but when we come back from the break, I'd really like to uh, talk, I you brought up the garden road apartment complex. I think that's fantastic. Uh, we could touch more on the, uh, the rail system. Uh, and also, of course, what would a conversation with Landwatch be without a 
uh, talk about the uh, desal plant and water. Of course, that is always a fun topic. We're talking to Mr. Michael DeLapa, the head of Landwatch, great guest on 101.1 FM and 1460 AM. I'm Paul Wyatt. This is What's the Plan? company is on a mission to put a million people to work each year. Sounds like a big number, doesn't it? Not to express employment professionals. We take pride in connecting the right people with the right company. Express Employment Professionals is on a mission to put a million people to work each year. Let us help. We'll open doors for you. For great employees, call Monterey County Express Employment Professionals. 831-920-1230. That's 831-920-1230. Advertising. Love it or hate it, it's a vital tool for business owners to attract customers and earn a living. But some city governments have arbitrary laws about what advertising signs can and cannot say. The First Amendment protects freedom of speech. IJ is committed to defending free speech against excessive and unfair government regulations. Please visit our website today at ij.org to find out how you can help the Institute for Justice. If you're planning an event and searching for the perfect venue, consider the Monterey County Sheriff's Posse Grounds on Old Natividad Road in Salinas. The Posse Grounds has it all. A complete kitchen, barbecue pits. We also have an outdoor stage featuring a large dance area, all in a private setting and wide open spaces. So book your event now. Call 831-444-6267 or visit our website at mcsposse.com. The Monterey County Sheriff's Posse is a not-for-profit organization. All right, we've got a few minutes left on the program, about halfway through, and let's head back to more of What's the Plan with your your host, Paul Wyatt, here on Power Talk 1460 and 101FM. Paul? Hey, thank you so much, Mark. Yeah, we're here with uh, Mr. Michael DeLapa of uh, Landwatch, and um, during the break, I was, I was thinking a little bit about um, how, uh, you know, the millennials are kind of in our favor with, with your mission, because I, my kids, and they don't really... They weren't as excited to get a uh, a driver's license as I was when I was a kid. And cars don't seem to be as much as the culture anymore uh, for younger kids. So they, that may that may play well into a walking culture uh, type of uh, society. Also, um, yeah. So, so having said that, can you tell us more about the the transportation of the rail system call yesterday and what is uh, TM TAMC's uh, kind of vision for the the rail system coming down to Monterey and Salinas? Well, the transportation agency of Monterey County is um, at this point studying the options and they're trying to get a handle on um, extension of the service from um, from Gilroy into, into Salinas and then south. Um, and then extensions to the peninsula um, initially by bus and then eventually potentially by light rail if there's sufficient demand. So they're really in the early stages. Um, if you go, if people want further information, I can send them the PowerPoint that Tansy presented yesterday, which was very instructive, uh, you know, basically giving the people on the call uh, an opportunity to sort of see maps and understand where they are in the process. It's a fairly long process because there's, you know, quite a large amount of money involved in um, in, in changing rails and, and putting in new rail systems. So um, it's very early stage, that's what I would say. 
Yeah, we we lived in uh, Japan for a while, and they have a very evolved. Uh, of course, they also uh, don't, they never saw a, a hill that they didn't want to stabilize with concrete. So they, it's kind of a mixed uh, mixed bag with uh, Japan. So it's fascinating, and also uh, the self driving cars could play in. So technology could over. It seems like could leapfrog like if tech, self-driving car technology could potentially leapfrog the need for a rail system. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about like self-driving cars or anything and how that might change the transportation landscape? Well, I, th I think you've got a, uh, still the issue of volume per, um, per unit road. And if you don't get people out of uh, their individual cars, even if they're driving them not as efficiently as they could, I'm not sure that self-driving cars are going to solve that problem. You've also got a problem with greenhouse gas emissions, which, um, you know, unless everything switches over to uh, electric and unless all the electric sources are also renewable, um, you know, we are coming up on a very, very uh, substantial problem with climate change. And so, you know, trying to get our cities more walkable and bikeable, you know, I think technology is not going to save us. Oh. Well, I, I'm not uh, disagreeing, but uh, like carbon sequestration, I'm, I'm hopeful because I know like Bill Gates is doing stuff like that. And also another great thing, and this leads into the water question is I think Monterey County uses just about as much water as they did in like something sometime in the 60s, right? Is that my, you would know that better than I, but it's, we're really doing well with our water usage, I think, for population per, per capita as than we were in the past. So, um, so about water and, and maybe we don't need to talk about, de well, first don't talk about desalinization, talk about the, the one water program and the reuse program um, and your thoughts on that. Well, we, we, Landwatch has been a very strong advocate of expansion of the Pure Water uh, Monterey project. Oh. And the reason is that it's the least costly, least risky, um, fastest and easiest way to meet the water needs we have on the peninsula. Um, we, um, you know, we have been, um, involved in, at the, the local level with the water management district and the Monterey one board, um, at the coastal commission level, um, the PUC. So we've, we've watched this project for many, many years that the, the uh, desal move along and the, now the development of a less costly, safer alternative. I've recently wrote a um, an editorial in the Monterey Herald, and I followed it up with a letter to the editor, really drawing more on my background as a business person and somebody who looks at the economics of things than as somebody who has environmental proclivities. And I just think on the economic question alone, it's not really a close call. The difference between the two projects is about a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. The water rates that are projected under the uh, desalination will be three to nine times the cost of what they are under um, pure water expansion. So if you look at the data, and we have looked at the data, the cost data, the demand data, um, the, uh, the um, uh, resiliency to climate change data, um, I, don't, I don't think if uh, there's any strong evidence to the contrary of where the water management district has go is going. Now the water, um, pure water board itself seems to be um, really caught up in uh, kind of uh, petty politics. And 
certainly the struggle between agriculture and the perception of uh, agriculture, uh, agricultural water going to the peninsula um, is something that has really driven them to make what I believe is a very bad decision. So, mm. I, I did. I've heard health concerns about like flushed uh, prescription medications and uh, the the reuse the reused water maybe isn't properly filtering those. I wanted to ask you about that question and then and mention also that that is a great. I think it's how to waste one billion dollars in one minute. I think that was your yes. really really catchy title um, about that. And then uh, if you could feed maybe an answer to that question because that's a very specific question and worry uh, into why public ownership of the water which you've advocated for is better than Calam the profit you know driven uh, ownership of the water. So on your first question, I am not a, uh, a water quality expert by any means. Um, I've gone out to the plant and I've gone through the tour. Uh, if you haven't done that or your, your I, listeners I have, haven't yeah. done it, it's really impressive. They have uh, various levels of water purification and they can talk to you specifically about the molecular, the size of molecular contaminants and water removed at each of the levels. Um, all of the water that is, um, that is uh, treated there has to be, uh, experimentally, um, tested. It goes to the state. It goes through a whole testing protocol. I, I can't, um, I can't imagine that any other water that you could possibly get would be safer, um, than the waters coming out of that plant, not just after the purification, but it's also re-injected back into the ground. So there's yet a, another level of purification. I've been personally convinced of that, but again, I'm not a, um, a water engineer, but all the people that I know that are water engineers to a person uh, will say that, that whatever contaminants there might be, whether they're pesticides or um, you know, fertilizer or other kinds of contaminants are safely removed and the water is perfectly appropriate. Fantastic. Um, to your um, to your other question about public ownership versus private ownership, you know my strong um, bias is for uh, free markets. Um, you know, I went to Stanford. I you know that isn't how I was. You know, I, when I came out as a biologist, I didn't really have a deep understanding of economic systems and. Uh, free market capitalism. After, you know, five classes in economics and, you know, years and years of, of business and interactions with government, I can certainly say that my initial bias is that the market, in most cases, in my experience and, and academically, the things that I know, operates more efficiently. That doesn't mean it operates more equitably, but it tends to operate more efficiently. You have the right kind of incentives. However, with water and public utilities and public monopolies, whether they're Cal-Am or um, PG&E or utilities, they're, um, they're entirely, they are a monopoly. They own the market and their regulatory structure and their compensation structure is driven by government. And that government structure right now rewards them for capital investments, assets. So Cal-Am gets a 10% return on its capital assets. That's how its shareholders make money. And that creates a perverse incentive for things like billion-dollar desal plans. Because the rational economic decision, if you are Cal-Am, 
is to build the biggest thing that you can. I mean, I get it. That makes sense from their perspective as a company and their perspective as a um, uh, uh, trying to maximize shareholder returns. It makes no sense for ratepayers, and it makes little sense for government, really. If you're concerned about rates and, um, and public utilities, what you really want to do is to change that incentive structure so there isn't a strong incentive to just build, build, build. The incentive is to look at what is the least costly alternative. In this case, we have you know a government agency driving a bad, actually several government agencies driving a really, really bad economic decision because a um, you know a private company has been able to capture them politically in other ways. So I just think. As a you know a, a capitalist myself, I just think it's a terrible way for government to be, you know, uh, supporting a very bad decision by a uh, by a, uh, a company on on at the cost of ratepayers. Wow, fantastic and and very surprising answers. Uh, I I really enjoyed our conversation, Michael. Uh, hopefully. You know, you'll, you'll consider coming back in a few months. I, I talk to people of all political viewpoints, and you have given me a lot to think about, and I hopefully our listeners a lot to think about, and I really appreciate it. I'm Paul Wyant, uh, the owner of Express Employment Professionals of Monterey County. Please stay tuned on Central uh, Coast Power Talk, 1460, 101 FM, for Business Sense with Edward King. Thanks again to Mr. Delapa, the greatest producer in the world, Mr. Mark Carbonero, and, of course, the great Darv Marz- Dave Marzetti for setting this whole thing up. Have a great afternoon, Monterey County. And as funny as it may seem, some people get their kicks.